I'm going to talk about commitments. Three commitments that will change your life and change the life of others. Because that Jackie Robinson quote is, is, is exactly right. Our life needs to be about impacting others. And I actually, uh, Wikipedia, commit. Here's what the word commit means. To promise or give loyalty, time, or money to a particular person, principle, or plan of action. So when you commit to something, you're given a promise to give everything you've got to do that. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a definition guy. I mean, it's like, okay, nice. I didn't see any of you writing that down. So I, I'm guessing you're not a definition person either. But I'm going to tell you a story about commitment that'll sort of frame the morning for us. And I shared this story a couple years ago at the marriage retreat, um, but we didn't, we didn't share it this, way, this, this year. And Ann's down at uh, South Campus telling the same story. Uh, five years ago, Ann and I were about to celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary. Now, I, I, know, I know I look like I'm 70, but we were actually uh, getting ready to celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary. And Dave knows this about me. I'm a pretty tight wad. And so when I was thinking, you know, it, it was coming up like in the, in the spring, in May was our anniversary. And this was like in October, November, I started thinking, man, this is like a big one. 25 is like, you know, something you ought to spend some money on. And I'm really tight. I don't like to spend money unless it's on myself. So I just didn't want to spend a lot of money. So, uh, but I started thinking, it's the 25th, we should take a trip. And so I wanted to go somewhere really nice, but I wanted to go there free. And I'm not, I'm not kidding. I started praying every day, started in November, every day, didn't tell Ann I wanted it to be a surprise. So it's just me and God. And I'm like, God, I'm praying that you give us a trip in the spring for free, somewhere really, really cool. I always added for free. And God knows my heart. You're supposed to spray, pray specifically. So I did. And I'm not making this up. So I went through the, you know, the, the winter. And somewhere in like early, mid-January, I was doing a service at Kensington in, in Michigan. I got done speaking, walk off the stage. This young couple comes up. I'd never met him before. Hey, we're, we, we've been here for a couple years, but we've never met you, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, hey, it's great to meet you. They say this, they go, we were wondering if you could do our wedding this spring. And I'm like, well, you know, maybe you have to talk to Debbie, my assistant, and she handles the calendar. And they go, well, we'll talk to Debbie and blah, blah, blah. But it's in May and it's in Mexico and we will fly you and your wife down there for free if you'll do our wedding. I'm like, I'm your man, just like that. I mean, can you, can you believe this? This is unbelievable. I pray for the lions every week. It never works. But this one, I mean, I'm not kidding. I mean, I'm standing there going, I cannot believe this. And one of our other pastors, Craig Mays, was standing right beside me. He goes, no, 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 I'll do it. I go, no, baby, it's mine. So long story short, that's exactly what happened. It wasn't the week of our anniversary, but does it matter? We're in Mexico at an all-inclusive resort. You ever been one of those? I had never been one of those. That means everything's free. For a guy like me, this is nirvana. This is awesome. They give you this little armband, and if you have that on, you can go anywhere, get anything you want to eat or drink. You're, you can swim up to the bar in the pool and get a Coke. I mean, it's free. It's awesome. I love it. So we're at this unbelievable place. It's our anniversary. It's, 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 it's perfect. And the wedding's in a few days, and we never even saw the couple or the wedding party because we were so into our world and our anniversary. We went back to our room early and... Anyway, so that's what we did every day. We're just all about us. You didn't even get that, did you? But the marriage retreat people got that. But the others, like, did he actually talk about sex out loud without saying it? Yeah, I did. Okay, so, so, um, so here's what happens. One day uh, they come up to us and go, hey, you know, every night we're all hanging out at the dinner club, and you guys would love it, a lot of music. You had to come tonight to doing the newlywed game. We go, really? There's music? And they're like, yeah, yeah, I love it. And I used to play in a band, that kind of thing. So we're like, we'll be there tonight. So we go to this club. 
We sit down, and it's a big dinner theater type thing with a stage like this and like hundreds of tables, and everybody's hanging out there. And these guys that you get to know around the pool that sort of work and try to get involved to do fun stuff, one of them comes up to us. He knows us by name because we've been around the pool. He goes, David Ann, we've got this, uh, this competition tonight. We need volunteers. You guys want to do it? And we're sitting right near the front. We're like, no, we're just here to enjoy the evening, enjoy the music, go get somebody else. So he's working the room, comes back, says, we need one more couple. Come on, you guys got to do it. And we're like, okay, let's do it. So we're walking backstage, and I thought it was the newlywed game, so I start cheating on the way back, because I'm sort of, am I a little bit competitive, Nels? Just a little bit, just a little bit competitive. So I'm like, when's the first time we uh, dated? When's, what's, you know, going through the things they're going to ask. So we go backstage, there's a curtain, there's all these couples, like eight couples, and we're all like, what's this about? I go, I don't know. Curtain opens, MC walks forward, he goes, tonight is dance night. And we're like, what? He goes, these eight couples are going to dance to different styles of music from around the world, and you are going to vote them off by applause. The last couple standing wins a grand prize. And Anna and I are like, we cannot dance. I mean, we're terrible. We're like, let's just be terrible like we are and get voted off first one. So they, and it was music from different countries. So they play like an Australian waltz, and you're supposed to do a little waltz. Can you tell how good I am? That's me. So we don't get voted off the first one. We're like, are they blind? How could they not vote us off? Second one, we're voted off. And we're walking back to our table, and the crowd that just booed us to vote us off, when they said, David Ann from Michigan, you're done. And so we walk off. They start cheering. So the MC goes, wait, 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 wait. Do you want them off or on? On! He goes, hey, they want you back. You're on. We're like, nope, we're fine. We're fine. Just go. You know, I haven't even broken a sweat. We're fine. We just sat down. He goes, no, nope, they want you on. They started screaming. We're like, what is going on? We think they heard from Michigan, and must have been some Michigan people there. So we're back in. Here's how it ends. We end up in the final three. Don't ask me how. We're in the final three. And he goes, okay, the last three are going to dance one couple at a time. Before that, we're all together. He goes, uh, and, and, and one specific genre of music. David Ann, you're first. So we walk up. And we're standing beside this MC, and he goes, you guys are going to go first, and here's the, here's the category. 60s music, acrobatic. And we're like, what? First of all, I love 60s music. I grew up playing 60s music. But I'm like, what do you mean acrobatic? He goes, the more acrobatic you are, the better. Now, here's the deal. Nobody in that place knows except Ann and I this important fact. She was, for her whole life, a gymnast. She still can do gymnast stuff. She can do one-arm push-ups and aerials, I think you call them, where you fly through the air and do like a whatever. She can do all that stuff. And I'm competitive now. I'm in the final three. So I whispered to her as they're getting ready to play music. I go, you end this thing with one-arm push-ups. We win the grand prize. And she looks at me just like this, like, gotcha. So I am not kidding. I wish there was video. The music starts, and all I do is back up like this, and I do my little 60s thing the whole time. I'm just going like this. You know, I even threw a little 70s thing in there. But anyway, I'm just, I'm just doing that. While I'm doing that, she is going, you know, across the stage. Boom. And you hear the crowd. Ah. And she runs up like, boom. Ah. It was like fireworks. It was so cool. I was just like, oh, they're loving this. They're loving it. You know? And so the music started to die down. And the stage was pretty big. So I'm way over here. And she's way over there. And I'm thinking, grand finale. What are we going to do? What are you doing? I got this idea in my head. It's like, oh. So I went like this with my arms. I looked at her like, come on. And I had my arms like that thinking, I was thinking like SeaWorld. You ever seen like the, you know, you know what I'm talking about? The dolphin jumps through the hoop and does a little flip, goes down, does a one arm, will win. That's what I was thinking. That's all of it. It's like, like this, but we can't talk. So we're like, like this. And she's over here looking at me, you know, she's like, like Mary Lou, you know, like sitting there like this, you know, and she's like, what? 
you know? And I'm like, you know, like this. And she's like, oh. And so I thought, okay, she's got it. So I'm over here, and the music's just about to end, and she starts sprinting. And it was probably twice as wide as this. She starts coming. I mean, she's getting ready to leap. And just as she leaps, I, I you know, make my arms wide enough that she can go through, and then I turn and keep dancing. Because, she, you know, she's going to go through and do her little thing, and boom. Well, when I turn and start dancing, I hear, Doosh! and then I hear the crowd go, oh, and I see two guys running from backstage, and I turn around, and she is face planted, <laughs> arms are out, face right in the, in the floor, and everybody, as I turn around, is looking at me like, <laughs> I mean, they are, they're, they're mad, because it looked like I went, <laughs> you know, that's what it looked like, it really did, it looked like I was lying, you know, whatever, you know, pulling the football. I didn't meet you. You know my heart, okay? I really had this plan. And she thought, I found out later, it was Dirty Dancing, that she was going to jump. Remember Dirty Dancing? And the guy catches her, you know, and spins around. Look, you're all siding with her right now. So she thought I was going to catch her. So when she jumped, she went just like this. And I'm gone. Bam. And uh, suffice it to say, we won. <laughs> And guess what we won? You know, I'm a guy thinking, we're going to win another free trip back to this resort. We won, not kidding, two T-shirts. That's what we got. Two I.O. Beer Star Resort T-shirts, which I paint in now. But anyway, um, and, and, and here's, here's the, the truth we didn't even find out till later. She broke both wrists. Well, now you hate me, right? Can we just close in prayer and you can pray for I mean, it was just, I mean, she kept saying, man, my wrist, we got back to Michigan. And she went in and they're both unbelievable. Unbelievable. We told this story at Kensington before we knew her wrists were broken. And then like a week later, she shows up with these casts. They're like, what did you do to your wife on your 25th? But, but when I think of commitment, that's what I think of. Not kidding. My wife, and she's been with me here all weekend. I guarantee she's doing the same thing right now. Whenever she does anything in her life, it's like that. She is all in. She's like, let's go. I mean, we laid in bed that night sort of laughing about it because it was like, are you kidding me? Are we the dumbest people on the planet? Or, or better said, am I the dumbest person on the planet? Um, you know, she, she was just like, you know, I just, I, I remember saying, you know, when you do something in gymnastics, you don't, you, there's no fear. You just go. You can't sort of go. You just, so when I think of commitment and I talk about three commitments that'll change your life and change the life of others today, that's what I'm talking about. You can't sort of commit. Commitment, the word, forget Wikipedia, the word means all in. You're going to write anything down. I don't know if you take notes here. If you're going to write anything down, all in. When we talk about these three areas, are you and me all in? That means is everything we got, our whole life, our whole soul, our whole body, our money, our time, our treasures, our talents, you can't sort of give. You're like, I'm going and I'm letting it go. And here's the thing. A lot of times that's hard to do. You know why? Because when you go all in, it doesn't work out right, you get hurt. I mean, it's a funny story, but it's true to life. Anne was so all in, she got hurt. If she would have sort of jumped, nobody got hurt, and we wouldn't have won anything. Because you don't get things in life when you sort of give. Talk about that all weekend in your marriage. If you're sort of in with your marriage, guess what? Ain't going to work. Marriage is too hard to be sort of in. It's all in till death do us part, or it doesn't work. And when times get tough, you say, I'm still staying here. I'm not leaving, even though this is really, really hard. I'm not bailing because I'm sort of in. I'm all in. So let's talk about three commitments. I just thought of these three areas. First one is this, and they're sort of in reverse order. So I want to start here. Here's where we've been all weekend, a commitment to love one another. 
where I put slash love your family. So what we've been talking about for, since Friday night, Saturday morning, is like an all-in commitment that says, I am going to love the most important people in my life. Jesus said in, in John 15, he said, love one another. This is my command. Love each other as I have loved you. Was Jesus all in? Oh, he was totally in. I mean, we know the story. He went to the cross, not sort of in, all in. I'm going to give my life. He says, as I have loved you, that's how you love the most important people in your life. There are people in your life that aren't that important. There are. There's different grades of people in your life. You've got friends, you've got acquaintances, but you've got a family. Whether it's the family you're in that you've come from or the family you married, the in-laws or extended family, or maybe it's some people that are so close to you, they're like family. I'm saying to you, those people who you identify, these are the people I'm doing life with. These are the people I'm going to my grave with. These are the people that God has placed me in a tight relationship with. Those people, you need to make a commitment that says, I'm all in. When you need me, I'm there. When I need you, boom, you'll be there. There's no question I couldn't, you know, the, the, the men in my life that are like family to me, my wife, my three boys, it's like any time of the day, any moment, you know, the commitment is so high. It's like, I need you 4 a.m. They're there. Not a question. Like, what are you doing? Call me at 4 a.m. It's like, what, what's up? What do you need? Why would you be calling? I'm there. Boom. And they show up and they're so committed to love one another. It's just the way it is. Because what? People absolutely matter in our life and that's how it works. I know as a father of three sons and now sort of two of them are gone. They're, they're, they're married and on and my third one's in college so he's sort of gone and we're sort of empty nesters now. But my whole life was about pouring into those young men and my wife. And it was so easy for me and I'm sure it's easy for you to, to misplace my priorities, to get more committed to other things or even other people and forget who I need to be most committed to in my life. And that's my family, my extended family, and then the men that are closest to me in my life. I remember years ago, I don't know if Dave was there, um, the first time Promise Keepers, you ever heard of Promise Keepers? It used to be a men's ministry that thousands of men would fill stadiums to learn about how to walk and grow in, in Jesus Christ. The first time they ever came to Detroit, they came to Silverdome, where the Lions don't play anymore, but they were playing there then. Did you go to that one? Yeah. And I remember a guy named Joe Stoll speak. Silverdome's pretty much filled. I'm sitting in the way back, and Joe Stoll, who's speaking at Kensington next weekend, actually, at that time, he was the president of Moody Bible College in Chicago, where my son is at, at school right now, finishing up his last semester. Anyway, Joe's on the stage talking about when he was a pastor back in Highland Park, Michigan. I knew Joe just a little bit when he was a pastor in Michigan, because I had him come in and do a couple chapels for me for the Lions way back then, so I had a little bit of knowledge of his life, and he tells this story I'll never forget. He says, um, I have three sons, and uh, as, I, as I raised them, I realized how committed I need to be as a dad to my sons becoming men of God. Now, I'm sitting in the back of the Silverdome, and I have three little boys at this time. So as he starts talking about his sons being teenagers and in their 20s, I'm like leaning forward like, okay, there may be something here for me to learn from him about raising boys. And he tells a story I've never forgotten. He said, you know, my, my middle son loved to play basketball. And he came to me one day, and he said, Dad, can we put a hoop in our driveway in the front yard? And I said to him, yeah, we can put it in there, but he knew, and Joe said, I was just a fanatic about my front yard. I wanted it to be perfect. I wanted it to be manicured. I didn't hire anybody to do it. I did it. I wanted it to be the best yard on, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the block. And he said, so when he said, put a hoop there, I first of all thought, it's not going to look right, but it's, you know, it's my boy. So I said, yeah, let's put it. So he said, we put this hoop up, and Joe said, it seemed like almost every day that son would say to me, Dad, can we play some hoop together? And almost every day, Joe said, not now, maybe later, I got to work on the yard. 
He said, that was like for a whole year of my life. And he goes, one day I did a funeral for a 16-year-old boy in our church. He says, I'm driving home to my house after this funeral, thinking about the brevity of life and how you got to seize moments. And he says, I turn onto my street. I can still see Joe saying this. He says, I turn onto my street and I look down the street and there I see it. The symbol of my misplaced priorities, the basketball hoop. He goes, there it was. It was just screaming at me like, what have you been doing? And he goes, as I drove up to my house, I saw my yard. And he goes, guess what? It was perfect. He goes, it was the best yard on the block. And I sat there and thought, who freaking cares? Really? That's what he said. And he said he pulled in. He might not have said freaking. But anyway, he pulled into the driveway. And he said he went upstairs. True story. He says he goes upstairs. His son is in his bedroom doing homework. And he cracks open the door. And he goes, hey, want to play some hoop? He goes, I'm just like it was yesterday. He says, my son turns to me, Dad, right now I'm doing homework, maybe a little later. Dad goes, okay. And he said, I shut the door, and Joe said, I started walking down the hall, and he said, under my breath, I said, I missed it. I missed it. I missed the season of his life that he had been begging for Dad to be with him. And the yard was the thing more important than my son. I'm sitting there as a young dad thinking, okay, what am I going to be committed to with my life? And some of you are old enough to know, that day till now went like that. I blinked, and they're, they're grown men. I shared here yesterday, I stood this summer and did my, my oldest son's uh, wedding in our chapel, and it was like, I just blinked, and there he is, a man with a beard marrying a woman. You know, I'm like, what? what? And I remember when I was a young dad, and some of you are, I remember when I was a young dad and older dads would come up to me and say, hey man, seize the moment because it's going to be gone like that. I'm like, yeah, whatever, dude. I'm up at night. There's snot on my pants. I mean, they're just (laughs) clinging to me. This is forever. This never ends. And I'm just one person looking at you and saying, blink, snap your fingers. It's gone. And the only thing you will have is what have you done with your time? What were you really committed to? Are you committed to your wife? Are you committed to your husband? That means you've got to figure out a way to be there. If you've got sons or daughters still in the home, figure out a way to be there. Now I don't. So my commitments are not just to them and to my legacy of the grandkids that will come. I hope not too soon, but coming. But also the second commitment, which is not only am I committed to love those in my family and love those that, are part, that really become family. But the second commitment is this. Commit to reach your neighbor. Commit to reach your neighbor. Here's the amazing thing about what we did in here the last two days. We talked about our marriages, but you know why? So that God could use our marriages to impact our neighbors. That's why. God's vision is so much bigger than me. That, that marriage mentor thing was so cute because it's the opposite of what God wants. That's why it's funny. God doesn't want marriage to be about me. God doesn't want family to be about our happiness. Now, I want to be happy. And I want to have great kids. Family, marriage is about one thing. The same thing K2 is about, reaching your neighbor with what? The love and mercy of Jesus Christ, the gospel. That's what marriage is about. God said, marriage, you guys talked about this in your series already. God put a husband and wife together. Why? So they love each other and be happy and say, oh, I just think you're so cute. No, that's wonderful. And that's part of it. It's so that they could reveal to the world who God is through their marriage. As Ann and I raised our sons, that's all we talked about in terms of our mission. We are raising warriors to be launched as arrows from the, from the book of Psalms 
into what? A war. We're not raising boys to be happy. I want them to be happy, and I hope they are, but we wanted to raise warriors who understood that it's not about me, and my marriage isn't even about me being happy. It's about us impacting our neighbor and beyond. So you reach your neighbor. Passage I love is found in Matthew 5, where Jesus said this, you are the light of the world. Now think about that. If you know the Bible at all, you know this. God first came onto the planet, and he said, let there be light. Poof. The world was created. Then Jesus shows up and he says, I am the light. And then as he's getting ready to go to the Father, he says, now you are the light. It's like the light that God gave to me, I'm giving to you. The light that Jesus brought to the world, we who are followers of Christ, and if you're not a follower of Christ, it's like this is what's offered to you. You can become the light of the world. And what does that mean? You are the light, light of the world. Look at this. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand it gives light to all who are in the house. Everybody knows this. Interior designers know this. You don't throw a light in the back behind a chair and cover it up with a blanket. You put it strategically in places that bring light to the room. Verse 16 says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. This right here is a mission statement for a Christ follower. This is what I'm supposed to be about. I am the light of the world. Why? Christ's light in me. And notice something I want you to see. It says, A city set on a hill. I've done a little study of this in the original language, and it's really interesting what this means. Cities in those days were strategically placed near a hill, so when people were walking in darkness, they would see a city of refuge or or safety, and they'd see it because it was strategically placed in an area that its light would shine out into the land, and they would know where to go. What's God saying? What's Jesus saying? Here's what I think he's saying. I have strategically placed you. I have set you like a city on a hill in your neighborhood, in your school, on that team, in that workplace. You understand what I'm saying? I think it's about the sovereignty of God. A lot of us think, well, my life's just sort of random. I sort of ended up in Salt Lake. I sort of ended up in... No, 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 no. That may all sort of be true on this level, but another level is God's like, no, 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 I have my hand on you. I have placed you on that cul-de-sac. See, I live on a cul-de-sac, and I feel like God has placed the Wilsons right here to do what? Be the light. Reach out to Nancy and Dean, who live together right beside us. Reach out to them. We invited them to a small group in our house, and they come. It's awesome. Reach out to Scott and Tiffany right over here. Reach out to the Pallians over here. It's just, we are believing that we have been strategically placed here. Every time I walk into the Detroit Lions locker room, you know what I think? God is strategically wanting to use me right here today. My eyes are open. What's he want to do with me today? Why? Am I here just to high-five guys and go, wow, isn't it cool to be a Detroit Lion locker room? Wow, no, I'm here to do one, one thing, be the light of Jesus Christ to these people. And God may want to use me, me, my little life, my family. So it's a commitment to not only love my family, but commitment to love my neighbor and love whoever God has placed around me. In your workplace, at your school. If you're a kid at school and you're a Christ follower, guess why you're there? To be the light of that school, of that class, to show the world what it looks like to follow Christ. And when they see your good works, they will glorify you. No, they will glorify your Father who is in heaven. I started to understand this years ago when I was in college, I became a follower of Christ. My whole life, I was a hellion. I was a skeptic. I didn't think this, this thing was even true. I partied. I was a quarterback on campus. I used that to the highest extreme I could with girls and with whatever. I just thought, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. And so my whole life, I searched for meaning in meaningless stuff. Long story short, I became a follower of Christ going into my junior year. And I, I'm not going to tell you that whole story, but I started as, as a skeptic, find out if the Bible's true and found out there's truth here. And anyway, I, I commit my life to Christ. I get involved in the ministry there, which has a vision to use people. 
who are followers of Christ to be light on that campus. I actually went on staff with them after I graduated from college. But anyway, that, my first spring break as a follower of Christ, they had a spring break uh, mission trip to Daytona Beach. It's where all the college kids go to party during spring break on the East Coast side. So went to Daytona Beach with Campus Crusade for Christ. And we're going to go to the beach daily and basically share our faith in a hopefully a loving, not weirdo, you know, shoving Jesus down people's throat guy because I hated those guys. So we're going to do it lovingly. But before I got there, I went to see my dad. My dad lives in Florida, been divorced since I was seven. So I never got to see him that much. So I spent a little time with my dad, rent a car, and I'm driving up to Daytona Beach. I think it was two or three hour drive. And as I'm driving, I'm all excited about this new faith and I'm going to learn how to share it with other people. So I pray this prayer. I go, God, you know, I hope, you know, you show me a lot this week and use me and teach me. And, you know, I want to learn how to love people and share, the, share who you are with people. And I, and I prayed another specific prayer and I didn't know how God worked back then, but it was like, God, if you want to use me, even on this trip, I'm your guy. There's somebody that, you know, I'm your guy. I am not kidding. Like 30 seconds after I pray that prayer, there's a hitchhiker off there in the distance. I see him and I'm like, oh, could that be? Should I pick up a hitchhiker? No, my mom told me I'm not supposed to do that, you know? So I'm driving as I'm getting closer. I see this guy. He's like really big guy. And he's got this big bag. And I sort of look at him. I feel like God is saying, that's the guy. That's the guy. You just prayed. Pick him up. And I'm like, yeah, I went right by. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm glad I didn't pick that guy up. You know, it's just sort of like I didn't, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm done with that now. Well, as I kept driving, God kept saying, that was the guy. Turn around, turn around. And I've never had these conversations with God. I'm like, is that you? Is that my stomach? What is that? You know, it was really weird. It's like, and I just sensed that, turn around, turn around. I'm like, can I turn around illegally? Yeah, turn around. So I did one of those U-turns in the middle of the highway that you're not supposed to do. Don't do this at home, kids. But I did it. So I illegal turned. I went back and illegal turned again. And I'm like, okay, he won't be there when I come back. There he was. So I'm like, I got to pick him up. So I pull over, pick him up. He gets in. I'm scared to death. I'm shaking because I prayed to talk to somebody about God. And now he's going to be in my car. I'm not kidding. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. I'm like, hey man, what's your name? His name's Joe. I go, hey, what are you doing? He goes, I'm a Navy SEAL. I go, you're a Navy SEAL? Here's what I thought. I thought, he's a Navy SEAL. If he doesn't like what I say, he'll just kill me. Psst, done, you know? <laughs> That's what those guys can do. It's like, Psst, you know, they're, they're, they're trained to do that. So I got even more scared. I'm like, oh, I'm not talking, you know? So we talked for two hours about everything that meant nothing. The weather, you know, every, it, nothing mattered. We're just talking about the stuff people talk about. And we're like 20 minutes from where he's going to get out and I'm going to keep going. And I finally, the spirit of God is like nudging me the whole time. Just bring me up. I'll take care of the rest. Just bring it up. So I didn't know how to do it. I'm just like, hey, uh, you ever think about God? You know, sort of like that. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. This is unbelievable. He goes, why'd you ask me that? And then I was even more scared, like, oh no. I said, well, I don't know. I just, I, I think about him a lot. Do you? And here's what he says. I'll never, ever forget this. He goes, he goes, well, it's really interesting you asked me that. Why is that? He goes, I don't really believe in God and I don't think about him much, but my life is a wreck. He goes, I was standing on the side of that road and I prayed the first prayer I ever prayed in my life to, if there's a God, God. And I said, God, if you're real, would you send me one of your followers to tell me about you? He goes, would that be you? And I go, that would be me. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I mean, I was sitting there like, are you kidding me? And I got to tell you, before we got to his exit, we were in such conversation, we pulled off the side of the road and I led him to Jesus Christ right there in my car. He was so ready to find Christ. It was unbelievable. You can clap if you want, but 
I mean, I look back at my life, and I think it's one of the reasons I decided to do what I'm doing with my life. It's like, God wants to use me? Me? And all I got to do is open my mouth? I mean, I, as he got out of the car, I just wept as I drove to Daytona Beach. Like, I just saw a miracle. I think someday that guy's going to walk up to me. I've never seen him since. And tap me on the shoulder and go, dude, what happened to your hair? <laughs> You're the guy that led me to cry. I'm like, unbelievable. And I believe that God has strategically placed you on a highway, in a car, and a guy in your life, or a gal in your life, or a person you work beside, or a person you're at a club with, and it's like, you're not just to be their friend. You're to love them as a friend and show them how to find the author of their life. That's an all-in commitment to your family, to love one another, an all-in commitment to reach your neighbor. And then the last one, and I think it all starts here. This is really first, and the other two come out of that, is a commitment to spiritual maturity. It's a commitment to say, I, for me personally, am going to commit to growing in my relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're not a follower of Christ today, man, it means this. I am going to commit to finding out who he is. I'm going to commit to coming to this place and asking these people who say they're followers of Christ what it means to be a follower of Christ. Who is he? Is he really who he said he was? And if you are a follower of Christ, it means if I'm in, that means I'm all in. And that means he gets everything. That means I'm going to show up on Sundays. That means I'm going to show up. And it's called Life Together Groups, a Life Together Group. Who cares what the name is? It's a group, a smaller group of people who you will, by the way, commit to loving and they will love you and then have a mission together to love your neighbors, and then together you commit to, I'm going to grow in spiritual maturity. One of my favorite passages is Romans 12, 1, 2. Paul says this, Therefore, because of everything I said about who Christ is, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. This is what he's doing. He's saying, take your body, And just like a a priest would take an animal and sacrifice them for the sins of the nation, he says, take your body and put it on the altar of God. That's all in. Absolutely all in. Love what Howard Hendricks says. He says, this is hard for people because we're living sacrifices. That means we can crawl back off the altar. (laughs) It's like, I'm all in, I'm all in, I'm all yours, Jesus. And then things don't go the way we want. We just like, no, I didn't really mean that. No, all in means all in. Commitment means commitment. Whether it goes well or not, it's I'm all in. Then he says this, do not conform any longer to the pattern, the thoughts the way the world works, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That is an all-in commitment that says, no matter what, I'm going to learn from this book who he is. When no one's looking and when no one cares, I'm going to carve out time because it's a priority to spend time in this book myself because I'm committing personally to mature spiritually. Most followers of Christ in America, just my opinion, are very shallow, mature Christians. They know very little about the God they claim to worship. And, and it's all basically because they don't commit. Say, I'm all in. If you're an athlete, you're an NFL player, and you don't commit, you're done. You're cut. You're gone. I mean, they work their tails off. You think, oh, they're just big and strong. They got this amazing gift. Yeah, they got that. But they work so hard. Why? Because they're committed to being on that team. And it's the same thing in Walk With Christ. Are you committed? Because here's the thing. Out of the commitment to Christ, out of a commitment to your family, out of a commitment to love others and your neighbors, comes a legacy. Every single one of us are leaving a legacy. The question is, what kind? 
you will leave a legacy. What's that legacy going to look like? I honestly think, if you want to know if Dave Wilson walked with Christ, ask my grandkids. I can talk all I want about it. What happens down the generations from this legacy? The legacy I was handed, I said this yesterday, from my dad was a legacy of divorce, two alcoholic parents, and adultery. Multiple affairs handed me. I was the product of that. As you look at my brothers and sisters, you see that legacy continuing, except for one brother and me. The brother that led me to Christ and me were the only ones in the family still living for spiritual maturity and commitment. I'm not saying we're perfect at all, but it's like that commitment to Christ has changed our legacy. And I can't guarantee what's going to happen with my sons and my grandkids, but it sure ups the percentages when the father and mother, when you and I walk with Christ, has amazing impact. I'm telling you, the most important thing you'll ever do in your life, it's more important than anything else, more important than the time we spent the last two days looking at at our marriages, the most important thing you'll ever do in your life is commit to Christ and commit to spiritual maturity. That means work. Christ does it in us, but we have to roll up our sleeves and say, I'm going to spend some time figuring out what it looks like to mature spiritually. I really hope a year from now, I am not the same man of God I am now. I don't want to be in the same place a year from now. I want to grow in every area of my life, my prayer life, my faith life, my marriage, my giving, every area. I want it to grow. Why? Because I'm going to not give up on this commitment to Christ. Let me end this way because I sure didn't plan on ending this way um, last night. Uh, Last night at 8.30, staying here over at the Little America, um, I got a very, very disturbing phone call from one of my best friends, a guy who I've been in a men's small group for 10 years. We call it a T2 group. It's 2 Timothy 2.2. As one man pours into others, they pour into others. Um, long and short is this. There was a, a guy I met five years ago at Kensington. Um, became one of my best friends. Call him CT. So there's, there's his initials. He's an athlete, former college football player. We just connected right away. Came up to me literally one day after I spoke on, on the weekend. We started talking and started playing ball together and started, met his wife and we became family, jumped in my small group, led him to Jesus Christ about four years ago, he and his wife, and they just started taking off spiritually. He got three precious little kids. Um, I got a motorcycle three years ago. And he got one just so we could spend more time together. So we ride all summer. We, we, we have a trip planned next weekend where we will ride in 30-degree weather to see my youngest son play college football at his spring practice. We've done that the last two years, literally freezing. We stop and get hot chocolate at McDonald's every 15 minutes to get back on the road. It's just, it's just a man thing. It's stupid, but we did it. And last year when we did it, we were both on a 12-day fast because we are fasted up to Easter. So we, were, you know, we're just, we couldn't even get something to eat. We just stopped and drink hot chocolate and go again. Um, and he has become just a great friend. He joined my men's small group a year ago. And uh, we went on a golf trip two weekends ago with my men's small group to Florida and just he led the whole thing. He's just a, a magnet for Christ. We play basketball together at Lifetime, and he's put like 12 or 15 guys in small groups that he leads for Jesus Christ. It's just one of those guys. You're just like, this dude is just a light. And I got a call last night from Rob, Rob Howland. You know Rob. And uh, at first he called, and I didn't answer because Ann and I were working on this talk. I'll call him back later. Then I get a text, call me ASAP. I'm like, uh-oh. So I pick up the phone, and Rob goes, CT just confessed to his wife he's having an affair 
Oh, God. I just... Oh, God. He's been living a lie this whole last year. Men's golf trip last week, he's been... I just... I love the guy. I saw a future. And I'm not saying we don't have a future together. Who knows where... Uh, Right now, what time is it here? In 30 minutes, my small group is meeting with he and his wife um, because he confessed last night. And the only reason I'm not there is I'm here and I need to be here with you, but they're going to try and help put the pieces together for he and his wife and their three kids. And I just, all I could see was legacy. Do you understand the stakes? The stakes are so high. How you and I choose to live, what we choose to be committed to, is everything. It's not a game. We talked all weekend. You've been talking this series. We're in a war. It's a spiritual war. One of my best friends just got wounded big time. And the wounds will affect generations. Now, can he rebuild his life? Yes. Will Jesus forgive? Yes. Will his wife? I don't know. I don't know. His precious little kids. I don't know. I don't know how CT's going to respond Today. I told him, I'll call you this afternoon when I'm at the airport getting ready to fly back and we'll have our first conversation. But all I know is I want to stand before you and say to you from one man to the rest of you, commit. Don't play the game. Commit. Would somebody here commit? Would one couple here commit and say, I'm in. I don't care what it costs. I'm all in with God, with you, my family, and reaching others. I want to leave a legacy that impacts the world for generations to come. It all comes down to a decision right here, right now. It starts with a decision, and then it's played out in a community of people helping you do that. But I'm going to close in prayer. Maybe for some of you, right where you're sitting is your moment to say, okay, I've been playing this thing for a while, whether it's with my family or whether it's with God or whether it's being on mission But right here at K2 on this day, this is my day of decision, my day of commitment, and I want this to stick. And so when you pray this with me, then you need to tell somebody. You have to tell somebody and have them walk with you so that this commitment sticks. Let's pray. Father God, I pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would meet every one of us right here, right now. And I pray more. Lord, I really pray that somebody some man, some woman, some boy or girl right here right now is making the biggest and most important commitment of their life. A commitment to say, I surrender all. I surrender everything to Jesus Christ. And I want to lay that as the foundation of my legacy. And out of that foundation, I commit to my family and I commit to reach others. Jesus, I pray that this would be real, not just an emotional deal, but it would be real. And even as we sing, that it would mean something. We wouldn't just mouth words, but that we would say to God through this music, through these songs, I'm all in. I'm committed. And that, God, you would take us and use us to build and leave a legacy that would last and stand for generations to come, a legacy that points back to the author and the perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. And we pray in his holy name, the name of Jesus.